Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Modern Agilist, where we see what is happening at the very edge of agility. We are happy to have uh, a return guest on the show, and he brought uh, a partner with him, a friend, to talk about DevOps. Now, for some of the for some of you who follow this show closely, you will know that we have talked about DevOps in the past. And okay, we're going into DevOps again. We want to go a little bit deeper on on some issues and unpack the idea. And it is an idea that DevOps may itself be uh, very the very evolution of Agile. So, with that, I have our guests introduce themselves again for people who maybe didn't catch the earlier episodes, and we'll get into things. Welcome, guys. Thank you. So could you, could you both introduce yourselves? Tell us a little bit about your background and just what you're into. And then we'll dive specifically into like DevOps stuff, but whomever wants to go first, have at it. Just give us your background and maybe some interesting stuff that you've been working on. That'd be great. Yeah. Let me uh, kick off because I'm uh, the returning guest here. So my, my name is, uh, and I'm an agile coach and a scrum master in Denmark. And uh, today I've brought my colleague, uh, Son, with me here, uh, who's also uh, doing Agile Works. I'll let him uh, talk for himself. In so what I'm doing right now is uh, organizing uh, programs in an Agile manner in a very large global uh, company building uh, wind turbines. So I'm having fun with the uh, software and non-software issues uh, with regards to Agile. And on that short note, let's uh, hear from Son. Yeah, sure. sure. So my name is uh, Soren Peterson, and uh, I'm a part uh, of the company called Being Better Software. I'm uh, a co-founder of that small company. My background stems from IT going back 15 years where I met Rasmus the first time around. And since then, I've been in the high-end uh, business of audio and TV, so Bang & Olsen. And my journey in Bang & Olsen was uh, very much DevOps before it really became DevOps, I think. We did a lot of test automation across hardware, mechanics, uh, and software, and so on. Uh, and maybe we'll dive into a few cases on that part later on in, in this session. Mm -hmm. And then I spent a few years with uh, Leco, a pretty well-known company in the world, where I ran, the, you would say, this, the DevOps team of the marketing department, uh, delivering Lego.com and the IAM functionality, etc., for all of Lego's services online. And then I've been an independent consultant in, in my own company since then. Wow. That's great. We have two, two experts here with us, Justice. So how do you want to dive into to DevOps? Uh, okay. Justice I'm going to ask the question so you guys can set me right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> most of the, no, most, almost every time I get to, and I'm a DevOps outsider, I understand principles and I recognize certain names and tooling and I understand principles of CI, CD, continuous integration, continuous delivery. And that stuff, and the when I get exposed to a conversation with DevOps with other folks, the first thing I want to know is what's your tool chain? What's the tech stack? And always the conversation really starts so much before that about cultural changes and those type of things. Could you guys 
maybe unpack like why that is. I, I know I have an article from you, Soren, in front of me, five easy ways to uh, kickstart your DevOps transformation. And again, you go through several points of this is important. Get this tied up, focus on this. And only at the very end, do I see those, that, that tool chain I'm used to, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think I'll pick this one up last month and you can just join. I think in my experience, many people missed the point that Jim Kim actually pointed out. Jim Kim is quite a, a person in the DevOps community and has driven a lot of this work. There, there are three key principles, right? First of all, you, you want to create flow, right? From Lyft. So this is where Agile has really been accelerating things and done a really good job for many years, more than two decades down the road. And then the second principle is to create feedback and feedback loops. And I don't think the technical part has been that prevalent, but people who are catching on to DevOps is really stepping into this. And we see some huge technological differences from 10, 15 years ago where today you can get really rapid uh, production feedback and, and actually react to it in your development part. So I think that's the part people really pick up on because they got the agile part settled uh, as I see it today, really. And then finally, you of course have the whole cultural aspect in the third way of the, the steps, and that is to build a culture of continuous experimentation and learning. So that's why you take the retrospective parts and then inspecting the dot parts from Agile again and wrap around it all. But the big difference is really the technology part, providing and delivery and, and so on. And I think that's why it's driving the discussion. Yeah, and of course, totally agree on Zan's uh, points here. Uh, <laughs> and that, that's how it is when you're partners. Uh, but just to add on that, I, I think just looking into what DevOps is, uh, exactly what all of us developers, or at least the ones with the development background have been missing in, in Agile at Scrum and all the other parts where we want to drive faster in, in our big companies. So for the first time, we are actually focusing on building stuff and doing it the right way. And also focusing on deploying the stuff to people who want to use it. Uh, just looking at when we implement Scrum and Agile stuff, it's normally done by business people or process consultants and so on. So they have a natural tendency to look into how do you make the process work and how to build the right product backlog and so on. Uh, but looking at the DevOps stuff, we start looking at why does the technology not follow when we want to change the way that we deliver to, to the business. Mm. And that, of course, drives all this uh, cultural stuff that Dan is also pointing at. Just a, a follow-up question on that is, Let's say you're brought in and maybe this is a different answer based upon the context. So you're maybe new on a team or brought in to just accelerate or improve things on a single team or in the other context, you're brought in and there's seven, seven or 10 teams. Do you start on an educational state? Do you start on addressing the cultural stuff and then begin to introduce tooling or do you do those concurrently? Well, do, what's your thought on that? What's that? rollout look like from a strategic standpoint? Currently, I'm part of transforming a business with approximately seven to 800 people where we're implementing DevOps. And we've developed a, a maturity ladder for that purpose. And we really start with the first step, which is, can we deliver software fast and efficiently? Because if you can't deliver software, you can't really be agile, can you? Because if you have two or three months of testing, then of your, your work, 
then you have an issue. Then we also aim to build in the whole measurement capability. I believe that the Kant's principles where M in that statement really stands for measuring. Because if we don't know how we're performing in our operations, how we're going to correct our product to perform better for our customers and, and operationally. And then the third part we, we draw in there is actually uh, what we call blameless postmortems. So that's your whole uh, learning part where you actually go in and, and root cause your issues and, and figure out is the process, it is, is it your communication or is it your technology stack that is challenged. So that's how we, we built that journey for a company. Your answer reminds me on one of the lectures I heard recently, and they said, how do you scrum? How do you uh, scale scrum? And they said, make sure you're doing scrum right first, (laughs) (laughs) or else you will scale dysfunction and two wrongs that make it right. And then your second point about those baselines, I think that's awesome. It's almost like that that's the first step where we at right now. Totally. Yeah. We want to follow this OODA loop. where you start by observing and then orienting and deciding and acting. So you don't just rush into doing stuff. Uh, I'm not sure if Sean has tried that, but I did it once and it doesn't really work. So you just walk in as a consultant, trying to implement the DevOps or agile testing or whatever you want to do. And then uh, you, as you go along in this process, you figure out that the people are not even developing the stuff in the right way. So teaching them more add-ons before they're actually having the, the right uh, mental foundation to do it is, is totally wrong. It'll end in a big disaster. So you need to figure out where you are, where you want to be, and then decide and act on it. I'm interested too. There's obviously some cultural things and some shifts in thinking that have to happen when you go about implementing DevOps and the mentality amongst teams traditionally, even non-agile operate in some silos a lot of times between the business end of things and also some of the operational type of things and then obviously some of the engineering what what are some of the communication techniques that you've experienced putting into place or that that have become useful as teams shift into a more of a devops mindset to kind of make that, sure uh, yeah go ahead i think the most the most fundamental part is actually uh, talking to each other just the mm-hmm. face-to-face communication it's a, one of the first uh, principles in the Agile Manifesto. Mm-hmm. And uh, going into uh, large-scale uh, organizations, face-to-face communication isn't really something you do. You perhaps uh, put in a ticket in the system and uh, right. watch your fingers that a real person actually answers that ticket. So, so step one for me is actually to make people talk and, and preferably do it face-to-face, even though it, these days face-to-face is on Teams or whatever online media you have. Have you run into some scenarios where people are reluctant to do that? What are some, so you say, Hey, let's talk face to face or let's get the communication moving through virtual mediums and stuff like that. But obviously when people get into a situation where they're used to doing one thing and you say, okay, let's shift and try to do something different. How have you been able to coax them out of or start to communicate with each other? What are some ways that you can do that? Yeah, that's a really bit, uh, uh, a really good question then. If I build a bit on, on Rasmus' answer, mm-hmm. then what I usually see in larger companies is that you have a service disk in front or you have somebody who takes all the brunt of what's going wrong and mm-hmm. it never makes to the team. So my strategy in, in most of those cases is to make those front-end services realize that they actually have, they, they have a gold mine, right? They have so much information of what's going on in the market 
And rather than, than having them being like a staff function, I tried to tell them, okay, you are, you actually have a product yeah. and you have some feedback from outside and obviously real life customers, but treat your colleagues as customers and, and figure out what is it they need to perform in your organization. How can you help them improve and, and make you all win, you could say in your company. And that change of mindset from like, we're just a staff function or we just have to service our clients outside. That really helps to, to tear down silos or, and, and integrate functions in that sense. It makes me think of the, the metric of uh, developer experience. There's a user experience and then developer experience and this idea of, and you guys said flow and feedback, it just struck me. I'm like, it's neat, man. It's like programming at the organizational level because you almost, you want like event driven changes. The customers yeah. do a certain thing. And it creates a change. And if you can do that, you've elevated the entire methodological engineering mindset all the way up at the organizational level. And is that not the very part of what DevOps, you know, operations as code is partly is what it's supposed to capture? Is that, am I onto something there? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I I also totally agree. And also sort of look like going back to our last, last show, and there's a building organizations. That's awesome because that, that's still what we want to do, build our organization. And just a thought I had while uh, Sam was talking is that one thing that we want to achieve is all, always to make sure that when you have these internal barriers, that you never expose your internal processes to your customer, no matter if it's an internal customer from another team. Or if it's uh, an external customer, a real customer buying stuff with real money, uh, and and exposing the internal process means that uh, if you're not able to solve the issue yourself, then figure out who can do it and help the person asking you, instead of just saying, "Oh, it's not my issue." You have to talk to someone else, mm -hmm. sending emails back and forth, because that'll slow down everything ten times. And now we're back to this cultural change, right? So. People normally get an email in saying, could you help me with this? And he replies back, it's not my area of response. Okay. So what do we do now? And the real way of handling that is talk to each other, figure it out, and then solve the problem for the customer at hand. So I'm glad you, Rasmus, you brought up that point again, because that really ignited my imagination in our last talk, talk this idea of like organizational Legos and, and then coming back to those lean principles that every handoff is a waste. And so you don't want the ping pong. You want more of a, a functional kind of patterns. So that's, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's also totally what DevOps is about. Uh, so that may be on a different level, but at least from the way that I see DevOps, what we want to achieve is a full stack group of people working in a team who is able to develop new stuff while also doing all the operations work on it. So whenever they deploy something uh, and then put it into production and get a user to use it, if something fails, they also have the responsibility to fix it and adjust accordingly. So it, it all ties together into this that also Sand mentioned earlier that we really want to build software and that's what we're here for. So. DevOps is a gold mine to dig into. And just to throw something out there, just real quick. Sorry, Rick. No, good. Okay. We've been saying for a while, past few years, because me and Rick, we often find ourselves straddling between two worlds, between source control and then layers on top of that of uh, 
project management. And we've been saying, like, listen, the whole project management suite of tools and approach is going to collapse down and become a part of source control. It's going to be a single entity. And so in the same way that DevOps is like your entire operations as code, we think management piece is going to probably be consumed by DevOps as like a mental model for it. And there's even some people who can't say names that are uh, talking with GitHub right now about them putting out a new project management layer directly integrated with source control in a way that hasn't existed before. And so there's a lot of like smart people who are, their spidey senses tingling and seeing this is the long-term play. I totally agree. And, and if you look at GitLab and what happened during the past few years with that company, they really took some giant strides in that sense. Um, and you can turn your attention to Plutora. Uh, and they really try to adopt more like a value stream approach. So they bridge all the tools and so on. And finally, of course, the guy behind uh, from project to product has delivered a tooling called TaskTop. I haven't tried it out on my own, but they also see the same trend and, and try to bridge that. Because in companies, that is actually a, a quite huge deal in my experience. Much of your work and your activities is actually detached from the actual programming and what you do deliver. And that really creates a gap in what you do and what you believe you are doing in the company, if you could say so. Yeah, that's interesting. And along justice, what justice said and what we're talking about is maybe even taking one step back to, I have heard folks who say, Hey, we just went through an agile transformation and we, we follow this gigantic framework, i.e. safe or scrum at scale or something like that. It doesn't really. The whole mentality or what DevOps is, maybe they don't understand. They're like, Hey, th we do this. This is what we do. We do safe. But what my, what I've been thinking is DevOps is not necessarily anti-agile. It's not even anti-framework. It's not even necessarily a framework. It can work within stuff that's already being done. It's a mentality shift and an organizational shift into making sure people like y'all are saying are, are communicating effectively and also understanding that. There are, there doesn't need to be silos. It's a full stack approach based on the team and it still fits into an agile framework or an approach. Uh, it's just the next evolution of it, I guess, or the next add on to it. Would you agree with that? I, I totally agree, at least on my part, because when you look at the, the DevOps research program, which is really behind a lot of the stuff we're doing today. Mm -hmm. then uh, they stand on software delivery optimization. They, they don't talk about being agile or, or whatever. It's part of what they do in, in their lean terms, but they really look at how do we optimize the entire organization for delivering software and not just how to become agile. And I think there's a, a big shift in that part, at least from my experience and my view. I think one of the challenges DevOps have right now is that it's called DevOps. <laughs> so it really quickly gets the technical sense right. Uh -huh. It's developers and operations, and, and we're really doing a, a holistic change of the organization to deliver software and technology, uh, but that's just my take on it. That reminds me, we had a guest some time ago, because you're like, it's not just developers. And we had a guest on that talked about, what did he call that, Rick? He called it, it was like the man on the street as a developer, but there was like a, ter there was a term he used. It was a citizen developer. And he was saying with the advance of low code slash no code tools. Basically, every subject matter expert or business-minded person suddenly becomes a developer. And so what you're saying is some of these terms get old, and I wonder if it's the mindsets and the mental models and the tools going all the way back to 
like lean XP, Kanban, agile, value streams, DevOps. Like it's really, those are those, those toolkits of, of the mind and their application at an organizational level. That's when the, all the, the good stuff is unlocked. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think at least from my experience, one of the challenges, so if you step into the whole lean the way and, and agile mastery is actually a quite significant part of, of achieving your goal, especially if you look back to the Toyota production system and so on. Uh, but achieving mastery in software is actually quite hard. It's not easily doable. So the translation of how you make that implementation work with your agile setup is, is important. And I think that's where, when you look into the capabilities of DevOps as well, they've taken huge strides to also tell you, okay, this is what you should be doing. And, and what results you should be seeing. So I absolutely agree. So let me ask this. I mean, we've talked a lot about shift in thinking and the way that things can be organized for increased communication and, you know, how it fits into some of the existing uh, frameworks and operational techniques. But anybody on this call, can, has anybody observed a company that has made a shift into implementing uh, a DevOps mentality? What What are some practical case studies or maybe uh, examples of, wow, we saw an increase in this area or by this amount, or we've seen a difference in quality or delivery or you know, customer satisfaction by doing this. Have, you have any examples that you can offer? We did it back in an organization that I was involved in, and what we did there was actually uh, pretty much what CERN also described earlier uh, with regards to this frontline service test and so on. So we started by closing that one down. And having all uh, tickets and inputs and everything coming directly from the customers into the team. So they became the first level. And the immediate response was that the team was overwhelmed by a lot of things, but it also made them aware of all the uh, things that you, they should do to improve the experience of the user of the system. So by pushing that into to the, the team, so they sort of yeah, who put their own hands on the stove or whatever you call it. So they felt the heat. Whenever they pushed something into uh, the production system, they could see people reacting to it or perhaps even not reacting to it and then do a, a proper response. And by doing that, they also became aware of what the consequences were of what they uh, were doing. And it's also, again, gave them an opportunity to grow as a team more or less. So they started being more focused on what will the end user experience when we push this out mm -hmm. and on top of that they figured out uh, that the traditional way of doing deployments which at least from where i've seen it is to fold forward all the time so when you put something in production you try to fix it mm. uh, and instead they got a bit more into this this way of thinking that we need to also be able to roll back and that without putting words on it make them aware that they have actually have a CI CD pipeline that they need to focus on. And that again, drove all of this, uh, DevOps mentality into it. Um, but sometimes you don't need to put a word on it when you work with a team like that. So we removed the service desk, but that was actually perhaps more an economic thing <laughs> that someone wanted to okay. reduce some costs, but, <laughs> but the consequence of this was actually quite beneficial because the team started to focus on it. Uh, on all this stuff. It sounds like almost because of the action that was taken, there was an increase in some more real-time feedback where the team was able to actually examine what was the result of their, of what they've done. And they, they were able to focus on that. You mentioned the CICD pipeline too. They were able to, Hey, look what we can do and look what it's caused. That's pretty interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, and on top of that, uh, yeah, and on top of that, they actually started to care about the, yeah. the customers and users. And I'm not saying they didn't care before, but all of a sudden that they they had a lot of metrics they could put on a, a screen in the office. Mm. So so they were pretty straight after deployment. They could see on the screen, oh, this new feature is being used. That's awesome. Let's call him and uh, tell him that he's a good guy for taking <laughs> it on so fast. So they got this excitement stuff back into the development world. That's interesting too, because I find that a traditional development or even folks that are using just maybe like a scrum based model framework, something like that. You know, a lot of times they're like, it's done. I've passed it off and I don't know what's happening with it. It's just, I've done what somebody has asked me to do as opposed to it's done. And now I actually see if it's being used or not. And if there's a problem or if people are executing on it or something, that's pretty great. That's really great. Justice, Rasmus, I'm sorry. I think I, cut you off. I was going to say Rasmus, I'm so glad you gave this example. Because I'm going to share this show when it's live with that particular timestamp with another group. Because basically where I found myself is in a situation where there was a dev team that had a product. Okay. That product was live. And they were asking for additional funding to create up an entirely different team to manage support for that. And I strongly argued that they were breaking a feedback loop and basically obscuring where money was being, the, the, the total costs of ownership of this product was now being obscured because that's a separate group mm -hmm. that gets paid for. And now they don't feel the pain of, maybe we should have built a little more quality into that piece. Now, did they still do it? They surely did, but I'm going to follow up in the chat and send them a link to the show. So thank you for that. <laughs> little told you so. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, awesome. All this stuff, I think it seems like uh, the theme in a lot of this is uh, team autonomy, okay? And I wonder, with a DevOps initiative, are you guys, do you find yourself in the place where you're always brought in from leadership? Or is it possible our listeners are, maybe they're on a team. I imagine a lot of our listeners are practitioners on a particular team is there things that they can do to kind of inch in and direct inch in this direction that's so that, that that speaks to this team autonomy and we speak a lot about team autonomy but i think there's technical blockers to it what are your thoughts on that help our listeners apply <laughs> and all went silent sorry no softballs on this one guys <laughs> no 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 <laughs> You can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> You're screwed. Yeah. yeah, no, I actually have an, I have one idea that people could do, and it was actually a term uh, we discovered recently uh, where I'm uh, hired in, uh, and that's something called a calendar-driven development. And uh, I suppose most of you know this, but uh, when you want to talk to someone, uh, at least uh, during uh, COVID times, you book time in people's calendar. Uh -huh. So all people's calendar just got filled with stuff. And that doesn't really uh, leave room for real development. So everything is booked in a meeting. No one has time to prepare and no one has time to talk. So stop doing calendar-driven development and do real development instead. Uh, and when you do that, you can start talking to real people. And then you can, of course, start focusing on uh, on, on your customer and, and doing some of the initiatives that we take in. So when you get away from being booked up, you're saying in your calendars, basically you're blocking off time to, to focus on more productive activities is what you're saying. I'm trying to, to wrap my head around it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So right now, at least in many organizations, people are running from meeting to meetings mm -hmm. instead of having, I don't know, uh, like 
back in the good old days where you had your scrum meetings in the mornings and then you could work for the rest of the day. And, and that left a lot of uh, time to, of course, developing the stuff that you needed to do, but also to focus on, on perhaps improving your pipeline and improving the way that you, you deliver the software and so on. So that's something that's more or less free of charge. You don't need to uh, buy in CERN and I to do that. You can just do it. Yeah. Uh, we, we would, of course, like to come in and help you delete items in your calendar, but I'm sure you can do it yourself. <laughs> That's great. I, I know I personally, even from a product standpoint, have had difficulty working with teams where it's almost, okay, we're going to, they say similar to what you said, we're going to just have as limited ceremonies, sessions, meetings, whatever you call them as physically possible. But then you find people's calendars get booked up to talk about stuff that they need to improve or tech debt that they need to tackle. And they end up not doing it because they're in meetings talking about doing it. it it's really cool is if you can block that time out and be strict about it. Yeah. I, yeah. I On yeah. that. Go ahead. I'd like to add one point as well. So consulting uh, quite a few teams uh, across organizations, I usually come across the, the boy fraud syndrome. So people have been doing their work for quite a while and they've stopped, uh, stopped changing things that they spend a lot of time on like support and so on, because they have technical depth, you are, you're dipping your toes into that one as well. Mm. And I think many teams should realize that within their own scope, they usually can find the time or, or make the time to improve the software or the continuous delivery pipeline. Mm. So they actually get more time to do things. And that's something you really don't have to ask for in most organizations, I would say, because it's made back as fast as you pretty much implement these changes. But the big hurdle is to break that mentality and get that sorted. And, and that's why you sometimes need a push from outside or you need to have to, to consult your team and, and have a discussion with them. And my best personal analogy, and I love this one, uh, I managed a team in a company and they looked at me in their retrospective and they, they, they said to me, we are not allowed to do things right. And as a manager, I said, you know, what? <laughs> what's going on here? Where did you get that idea from? And they have basically told themselves that they are not allowed to do this stuff. So they have built a, a rule or a pattern in the team, which they broke out of when I said, of course you can do things. What else would you do? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. People get into a one mindset and kind of make assumptions then, right? That's wow. Yeah. Great. Could I, I want to, I want to toot our own horn a little bit on this like thing. We've talked about this in the past about this calendar management. And it's almost like people are like, really, are you guys talking about calendar management? But we've actually, and I don't want to speak for you, Rick. I, I, I think we take a lot of pride in early on a couple of years ago, basically when the lockdown happened and we said, listen, we need to 3.0 the way in which all the events across the entire software program operate. And we basically rolled out like there is a program calendar that has every team's designated sessions on there. These it's stuff within this category falls in here and there and took it as you, know, you can go into any of those events and say, hey, I'm going to this one and toggle the main calendar off and just see where your commitments are. But the idea was we were like, if we do not protect people's times, if we don't protect this, then we will all be talking and it will all be noise and no signal, nothing to be getting done. So we, we were almost took it upon ourselves as being the stewards of the bodyguards so to protect people's time. And the funny part is when you talk about 
certain agile practices and scrum and designated things. People say it's a lot of overhead, a lot of overhead. And so what does it look like? What are you doing that's even less overhead than this? Show us because we'll do that. Yeah, to just tack on to what Justice said, and, and, it, and it goes right in line with what we're talking about here. But we looked at it like Justice said, and we said, what are the core sessions for teams? What, what, what has to happen? They need to communicate. So we need to have some stand-ups, some scrums in the morning. Hey, they need to look at their and review their backlog. And obviously they need to plan, right? So these are really the core things. Plan those out, make them consistent, put them on a calendar that's visible to everybody and allow individuals then to have a separated calendar between the core sessions for teams as we build and mature these teams and then their own sessions that would be separate. So they, they can toggle them, like he said, they can see them. And then also it increases, and I'm, I'm big on this, that whole mentality of, of self-service, which I think feeds right into one of the things we talked about earlier in this chat that we're having right now is that rather than say, why well, I can't change that time, I can't change this, I don't know what happens here, or I can't help you with that. We're not going to do that. We have given you now the tools to have a visible calendar, access to documentation, so on and so forth, communication channels. Now use it. Before, what would happen too is that prior to implementing some of these things and starting to think in this mentality, we, we would be that middleman and it, it would be a, a bad pattern where people go, Hey, can you, can you update this for me? Or can you tell me who can help me with this? And so that very interesting that you brought that up justice. And from my experience, many engineers to build on what you're saying are pretty kind people and they're, they're very curious. So sometimes it's also okay to explain to people it's okay to say no. If they don't think they can contribute, mm -hmm. I've seen many cultures where people just show up to large meetings and they just sit and listen, and then they walk out. Mm -hmm. and, and and really, I think people should be careful about joining those kind of sessions. Mm -hmm. Much better that people call you up close and say, "We really need your input," rather than spending multiple hours doing nothing in meetings. Yep, yep. That that was part of the impetus of that. Exactly. Is hey, keep your personal stuff clear. And here's visibility into what's going on. You're welcome to go if you feel like you can contribute. And if not, don't go. Outside of some core necessary meetings, it's totally available to you, but not necessary. Yeah. One of the principles we were given the the privilege of being able to write like a agility handbook for in the past for a program. And we said, hey, we set up a framework, it's self-service, but we're going to gravitate to the areas of highest return on value. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that there's nothing stopping working. Everything moves forward in, along with those values of self-service, feedback, flow, whether we're personally in there or not. Like everything, there's no kind of gatekeeper mechanism in that. And it's incredibly freeing. And it's really awesome to just be able to gravitate towards areas where Man, if I focus on this area, we could really get a change here. Soren, to switch gears a little bit, I happen to see on your work history description that you actually worked at Lego. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is um, pretty interesting uh, given Rasmus uh, kind of memeing on organizational Legos. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I was... Yeah, I was going to say, uh, actually, the introduction, but I totally forgot it, that, that this time we actually have Lego Man on board. <laughs> but hey, you know what, Rasmus, you still have one on him. You're in the uh, the movie industry, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the IMDb profile thing, yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> so, 
to come back on track real quick, what's the, is, do you guys find that anyone is resistant to these ideas? Cause I hear this and I'm like, yeah, this is all awesome. Let's do it. What is the mind that says, nah, I don't think I'm interested in that. Does that exist? Is it just about making the bandwidth for it or what's your experience with that? Usually when we get up organizations, we use like a maturity assessment, right? So we ask, are you doing stuff? And to what degree are you doing your practices like continuous integration and version management? But we, we cover that with the question, is this important or not? And in general, we see that uh, people rate all of the disciplines quite important, but I've actually come across people who said, yeah, the customer will call when we have an issue. So I actually see that coming out, but it's usually from, from certain types of organization who have, or that have a quite long track history doing their stuff in a certain way. So they're, they're set in their behavior and they've perhaps had a, a good service department in front, a service disc or, or frontline support, right? But it does happen. And every time I'm like, are you real? Do you mean what you're saying? <laughs> so so it's, it, it sounds like what you're describing is a habit. Yeah, for sure. It's a set habit. But it, I, I think it happens when you've been distanced too far from your customers for too long. So you never, you don't have a relation to who you're serving actually as your customer base. That, that makes At sense. The end, and the historical way of building an organization where, where you have someone who's building a product and then throwing it over the fence to someone who is uh, doing the operation stuff. So, so uh, I think some of the hurdles that I see on a personal level is it's not necessarily that the people don't want to do it and they don't have the competencies to do it. I think it's something like we don't do that in this organization. We've never done it before. So we don't know what happened, what, what will happen if we change this. So habit and inexperience. Yeah. Let me ask this too, maybe along those same lines, as we kind of get closer to the end of our conversation today, I want to ask too, we've talked a lot about cultural changes, shifts and stuff like that, all incredibly important. I think we even alluded to CICD and some of the stuff that a lot of people talk about when they start talking about you know, the shift to DevOps and the mentality behind that. But one of the things I asked earlier was, hey, can you give me an example of how an organization has changed, made this change and the impact it's had. But let me ask from the product side too, when you were given an example earlier, we were all talking about how people start to care about what they're, what they're working on. And they have that more instantaneous feedback and they get to see what people are doing, but have you, once this has come into play and organizations start following this mentality and this methodology, have you seen them restructure their product offerings? Obviously you hear about infrastructure as code, microservices and stuff like that, that can move things forward. But hey, this is fundamentally wrong. We've done this the wrong way. And now that we're doing DevOps and have that, these capabilities and, and, uh, and these feedback loops, we need to readdress and revisit the entirety of the thing and, and go about doing what we're offering differently in terms of the product. Have you seen that? Have you experienced that at all? Yeah, at least I can say that I've seen it, but primarily in the financial industry here in Denmark, at least where they're very, of course, cost efficient and, and want to save uh, every penny or Danish kroner they can, but they actually quite early in, in all of this uh, agile and, and they were thinking, found out that we need to break down the walls between having a business department and an IT department, because that's step number one. So on, on the big scale, and that, that doesn't really 
necessarily have anything to do with DevOps, but it has something to do with all of this breaking down the barriers and, and mm. making sure that when, when, when you are your business side discuss with a customer, what needs to be built, then he doesn't need to go through a pyramid of hierarchies to, to reach actually a development department who's able to do the stuff. So when these big organizations start to change into something that perhaps smells a bit like a business agility, that they actually also gain some of the benefits and tying them close together and, and business understands why IT is slow and IT understands why business can't decide and customers mm. can see the result of all the frustrations when it comes out in, in, in the end. And so, so that's on a very big scale of actually doing the same part as we want to do on, on the low level uh, technology stuff. Yeah, so, so I like what you said. It kind of smells like business agility, where you start to implement some of these properties, you know, across the organization, not just on the individual teams too. That's interesting. I like that. I like that saying. Yeah. I think I have a case, which is, is slightly different, but I'm pretty relevant for the realm of DevOps nowadays. The last few years, we've really dug into the whole part about digital platforms and building strong internal platforms in the DevOps community to drive innovation at a business level. Mm -hmm. And back in 2008, when I joined doing the, the high-end audio and video products, mm -hmm. we shifted from a one-off development model for developing, for instance, an entire team to having some really strong platforms and also in terms of volume products. And we went from basically two and a half, three years, as I recounted for delivering a, a new audio product to building multiple audio products on an audio platform within nine to 12 months. And that's really what the business and DevOps is aiming for right now. But I think that's a, a benefit of being in an engineering company and in a, a production industry where the software domain is a bit more lacking on that part for now, at least. Mm -hmm. And then made a huge difference in, in our ability to innovate and output products in the market. Very cool. That's great. Those are both great examples. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> I wanted to give you guys both an opportunity. I know our last talk with you, Rasmus, we said, what's the concluding notion? I think we landed off with like organizational Legos, right? It was, it was one of them. Okay. Now f for our listeners, I want to give you guys the opportunity to maybe level set on some expectations because what's funny is it seems like so many teams, when you talk about some of this stuff, they say, maybe that's for the big boys. That's for the Facebook and the Googles, but we're one, two, three teams or whatever. If for someone hearing this, that's like, man, I'd like to get a set of eyeballs on our organization. What's the right scale that would be fitting to contact you guys? What this is, what this question is, is, I'm trying to set you guys up for basically a plug of what you're doing and what would be the appropriate reach out to you as far as at what scale. So I think we already have a tooling online where you can do a bit of self-questioning and, and tap into our feedback. And I think it is. Going from small units of, of a single team and upwards is a good starting point to reach out. And we really like to help our people pay up front or what you call that sense and then see what they need. And then awesome. that's great. Just self-service all the way starting with the customer. What are your needs? Uh, that's awesome. You guys have it set up like that. Yeah. And 
And as, as we also discussed a bit last time with the agile playbook and, and the stuff uh, we discussed in the, in that part, mm -hmm. uh, we, we try to be a bit open and transparent on, on the, the sort of knowledge we have. So you will also find a lot of blogs and articles and whatever you would like to know about our knowledge on our website. But we see that as, a, I don't know, opening up to people. So they don't necessarily have to call us to, to get some of our knowledge, but they are free to do it. But we have this self-assessment stuff which Sam just, just mentioned, which will in turn give you some feedback on, on where you are and, and give you some insights and where you can improve just by yourself. You don't have to hire in a, a consultant to see some of the, the easy steps you can take yourself in your in your own team as an individual or perhaps on a larger scale in an organization. Yes, of course we want to help, but it's also important that people can do something on their own and perhaps experiment a bit and then reach out to, to someone with, with more knowledge, either son or me or someone else in the same business. Awesome. Is there any final thoughts or observations about uh, secret sauce you'd like people to hear before we wrap up here? Maybe even what's the, what's over the horizon on the current state of DevOps, like what's next or what has you guys excited beyond what we've already talked about? I'm not sure what's over the horizon, but, uh, I mentioned it just before, what's really a hot topic at the client where I am and also a lot in my own mind is stop this calendar driven development. It's, it's a very, what's called a, a long-term effect of COVID-19. You don't have to have had the, the illness, but, but everything has turned into meetings now and, mm -hmm. and whenever you need to discuss, you book a meeting. So I'd like you guys, also all the listeners, please stop doing calendar development. Absolutely. I think we've seen uh, a lot of big agile transformations in the last couple of decades and, and people are pretty well in place there for now. So I think the DevOps will really accelerate. But, but one thing I, I believe companies should take into perspective is that you shouldn't really set up large scale change programs. You should rather have a bit more into incremental approach to it and observe your business outcome as you yeah. And then that to the, the technologies. So usually we like to talk about half a year, a year ahead and then set some realistic goals and then observe where we are and then move in the right direction afterwards. That's terrific. Especially when you're speaking to agilist, an agile approach to transformation, incremental approach. <laughs> Sounds yeah, crazy, I'm, right? I'm not just, <laughs> <laughs> never will work. No one. I've just seen so many big programs where people have to be somewhere in five years. They somewhat make it, but we also see quite a lot of failures. This has been great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this again. We had to have you back again. We could have you all as reoccurring guests. It's just always a pleasure to talk to you. And it's been nice meeting you, Soren, too. So this has been great. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for coming on the show. And these are so great. I know I, I said this before. To, for me and Rick, this show is a pretext to get to talk to people we want to be talking to and to get all the good stuff. And we go back and listen to this and try to break out the thoughts and see if we can apply them. We're trying to be partner with thought leaders and everyone who knows so much more than us and experience and give them a platform. And, and that's the whole dynamic we're going for. So thank you guys. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon and we'll, we'll let you know when this is uh, ready to air on online. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Nice Thank you, guys.